and welcome to episode 11. This is the story of Brandon's hitchhiking adventures in New Zealand. And since this all happened before we met, Brandon's going to be leading you through his adventure story. Yeah, so you guys got to listen to my voice for the next however long it is. <laughs> but Sophia's here for some moral support and some nice laughter from time to time, <laughs> if I can manage to be funny. <laughs> what I'm going to tell you guys is a true story today. So as I've said before, there's nothing in life that's not technically spiritual. And so anything anybody ever says is can be considered spiritual as far as I'm concerned, but this is an adventure story, and as you'll see, it involves spirit guides, divine trust, psychics, and synchronicity, all the stuff that this podcast channel is about. I'm going to tell you an initial story that we need to gain the context from, and I'll circle back to this story at the end. And so I've told this story in the energy healing episode that we did. Um, so I'll just be brief here and uh, just get to what the point of it is um, and just talk about what's relevant. So there was an image in my teenage years that I found online of hands with light pouring out of them that I found when I was looking for tattoo ideas. And I wasn't ready for a tattoo. And so I made that the background on my computer for many years, part of high school, all of college. And when I was 23, I finally printed it out, brought it to a tattoo shop and worked it into a tattoo that I have on my side. And that's the end of that image as far as what's needed to know for the background. So keep that in mind. We'll circle back to it. But now let's jump into me going to New Zealand. <laughs> Thanks, Sophia. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I moved there when I was about 27 years old, I think, because a dear friend of mine had moved there. So I'd always wanted to go kind of do the year-round snowboarding thing, winter in Colorado, winter in New Zealand, and then I came back to winter in Colorado. So I had three back-to-back -back winters, which I thought was cool, but I met some people that were on like their ninth back-to-back -back winter. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I got there and she was what I call a nanny, but I guess there they call it an au pair for a very nice lady who worked as one of the higher-ups for NZ Ski Company. And it took me a few weeks of being in New Zealand to learn that the way they say the letter Z is Z. So I was really confused by that for a while, but it's New Zealand Ski Company. So NZ Ski Company or NZ Ski Company. Anyways, that's... Interesting. <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah. Saying that and that I've many times, there. like a, a bit of an advertisement for them. We're not sponsored. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So she helped me secure a job at the Remarkables Ski Area where I was part of the food and beverage department, but basically I was a driver of supplies i'd bring up all the food and i'd bring down all the trash and recycling and laundry and you know other random supplies that i had to get in town and um the list goes on so i was up and down this long mountain road that was pretty gnarly but it had a guardrail on the side and took about maybe half hour 45 minutes to go one way on it and i was up and down that road three or four times a day every day in 
in a little Toyota pickup truck with the steering wheel on the opposite side than what I'm used to. So on the right side of the car, it was stick shift. So the stick shift was in my left hand. Uh, but I was very busy. I worked long days and the days were short as far as sunlight went anyways. And, uh, I was pretty much, I got to park the truck in my house, which was nice. I'd wake up, hop in the truck, start my route, picking up a bunch of stuff in town. And by the time the day was over, I pretty much walked in the door, showered, ate, threw on a TV show and fell asleep in the first 15 minutes, rinse and repeat. And so I did work with a lot of people my age and, and cool people who are traveling around and from all over the world. But I was kind of in my own zone. Like I, I was around people when I was at work, but I wasn't really connected to other people, if that makes sense. It, was, it felt like a lot of me time, a lot of alone time. And so all this is necessary to explain for a reason, which I'll get to, but I will say that I'm, I'm only explaining the stuff that's necessary uh, to paint the pictures of synchronicity and, and, and the cool stuff that we'd like to talk about on this podcast. But there's, there's, of course, many things that happen in New Zealand and many different ways and perspectives. I could tell a story from my time there, but I want to get to the synchronicities here and, uh, and the quote-unquote spiritual stuff, as one might say. Okay, so I was alone, like I said, and I had a friend back in Massachusetts in the United States who went to go see a psychic on her own for herself. It wasn't to talk about me, and uh, she wasn't paying her hard-earned money to hear about other people's futures and and, uh, situations and stuff, but that's exactly what happened. So her psychic started talking about her friend and clearly... She, she clearly knew that the friend being referred to was me and a bunch of information came down and I don't know where I wrote it down, um, but I wrote down a bunch of stuff. Uh, but the one thing that has always stuck with me that I haven't needed to refer back to my notes for was that she was told that I was purposely placed in a container of isolation to digest all that I had learned. And so I'd say over the past couple months, especially, but definitely over the past year or so, a lot had happened in my life that kind of changed who I am on like deep and subtle levels, we could say. And so I guess that was all the the change and the inner perspective shifts that I was digesting. But it just blew my mind that my guides could set up my life or lead me in a way that would put me in a container of isolation and that it would be for my best, uh, my highest and best. And I see other people in similar situations and I wonder about it being in their highest and best. And in times since this, I've had similar vibes in my life and I, I wonder, I think about this, I'm like, oh, is the reason I'm here and life is like this right now so I can digest all that has just occurred and, and I really try to take whatever I can learn and, and bring it back deep inside myself and, and make the most of it as if it's all on purpose rather than being a victim of the circumstances. So that's the first cool thing that happened. You know, a friend on the other side of the globe seeing a psychic and then pulling messages for me and that message being delivered halfway around the world, like... That's really, really cool, I think. Heck yeah. 
back to my happy life of working and snowboarding and I had plans to go to Australia after and I was like, I'm going to see how long I can stay away from the United States and just keep bouncing around and and uh, yada yada. But I was using the angel board to talk to my guides every day and there's a whole angel board episode if you haven't heard that one yet. Um, the angel board has changed my life for the better dramatically over many years and one day they told me to quit my job and it was out of nowhere. Nothing was going wrong, so to speak. I didn't know, uh, I had no idea why or what I would do if I quit my job. So I didn't just hear it once and accept it. I went to work the next day and came home and got on the angel board and I was like, all right, I'm gonna clear myself. Maybe that was the wrong message and maybe something totally different will come in now. And they said, quit your job. And I did the same thing the next day, like, okay, maybe both days were wrong. And they'll say that I got it wrong and maybe I'm supposed to quit something else that starts with a J and I just got it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they said, quit your job. And so I just kept checking in, checking in. And that was the message. So I, like I said, didn't know what I was going to do. So I called my spiritual mentor at the time who was back in Colorado. And I said, hey, listen, this is what my guides are telling me to do. And I have no idea why or what I'm supposed to do. Uh, so I just wanted to check in with you and see what you think about this. And he's like, well, let me check in with my guides and see what they say. So he checks in with his guides and he comes back and he says, they said that, yes, this is absolutely the right thing for you to do. And that when you get to where you need to be, you'll know. And I was like, (laughs) well, that's extremely unhelpful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What do I do with that? So, uh, it, it helped in the way of confirming the message, but didn't help in the way of what I was going to do. So that part was up to me, I guess, and synchronicity. So I was on a month-to-month lease, which is how I set my life up all around. Like even before I got to New Zealand, I was always choosing month-to-month leases. I recommend it. Um, it, it <laughs> really lends to freedom. So I had about another three, three and a half weeks left in the month, and I didn't really know where I'd go, what I'd do. Uh, I was just contemplating it all. And uh, I knew I was going to go somewhere once the month was up. But during that time, I had an extraordinary experience, uh, one that's still pretty unmatched to this day. And so what was going on was I was having these, um, like I was having digesting issues. I was having stomach pain and just wasn't feeling too hot. And one day when I wasn't feeling too great, I hit up my friend and I told her that I wasn't feeling great and asked her if she could get some uh, probiotics or um, some different medication from town and and bring it up to my house. I didn't have a car. Um, She did. And uh, she said, yeah, no problem. I got a bunch of things going on. I'll try to bring it over later in the day. So, all right, great. Thank you. And I decided to hop on the angel board that morning. And what they said was, you are about to be blessed. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> I've never got a message like that before. Okay, am I going to like get a car? Am I going to get a girlfriend? Am I going to get a bunch of money? And I was thinking about all these things outside of myself. And 
that was all they had to say. So I put the board down, sitting there thinking about it. And then I just feel this pressure come into my crown chakra, into the top of my head. And so if you take four fingers and you put them pretty close together, right at the center point on the top of your head, and then push almost as hard as you can push. That's exactly what it felt like. Four distinct tubes coming in to maybe the four different quadrants of my brain. Very, very strong. And I immediately just said, whoa, maybe that's what they mean that I'm about to be blessed. And I just laid down. And actually the reason I laid down is because I jumped on the board and asked if this is what they meant by being blessed. And they said, yes, lay down. I lay down and I was out. Like I went into this, like, it's kind of like sleep basically. Um, For the purpose of explaining it, that's the best way I can put it, but it has like a different quality to sleep. Uh, Just like a very altered, extremely deep meditation. And all of a sudden I started waking up from it and I started coming out of it. The energy is still very much there, but I uh, was coming into the room and into my body and becoming very aware. And it was right at that moment that my friend had arrived with that medication, which has always been really cool to me looking back because clearly they knew that she had just pulled in my driveway and they brought me back into my body to wake up just as she was walking up to the door, uh, like perfect timing. And she walks in the door and immediately goes, whoa, what is going on in here? The energy, I can feel it, which was awesome (laughs) that she could feel it. And I told her what was happening. And so she dropped off the medication and she was like, I got to go. Like the energy is intense here. Um, I'm going to leave you to it. So she left and I went back into that altered state or sleep state for another hour and a half and eventually I woke up out of it and it was all done Uh, so in total that was three hours of being blessed with light subtle energy from some higher realms and at the time and even even now I can't say exactly what was going on I have no clear mental understanding of it Other than it was real, the pressure in the top of my head of that light coming into my system was intense. There was four beams of it, and it lasted three hours. And so if I had to take a guess, had to, you know, come up with a theory, I would say that they were killing the pathogens in my body that make me sick. Because over the next few months, I was, as you'll see, uh, traveling and making moves and and my sickness didn't really return um, for years after that. So I really think it was a, a healing so I could go about my adventure. And it was really profound. So at the end of the month, I decided I would just hitchhike north. I was already I was in Queenstown, so pretty far south on the South Island. I had already explored a lot of the stuff that's south of there. And I was like, well, there's a lot of New Zealand left to see, and it's all north of me. So I will uh, hitchhike north and see what happens. So at the end of the month, when my lease was up, that's exactly what I did. I gave my snowboard 
to my roommate and I spent the first leg with my dear friend who I had moved there to join um, and she drove me up to Christ Church. We spent a few great days there before she dropped me at the curb and waved goodbye and I sat there with a sign that said Picton because Picton was the town that the ferry ran from between the South and the North Island. And so my adventure began. And so my first ride was a young girl who was a traveler from the Czech Republic, which as a side note is where Moldavite comes from. If you've heard of Moldavite, it's a crystal I love to put on my third eye. And she knew what it was like to be a traveler. And so she was happy to pick me up and she got me as far as Blenheim, which is where she was working on a vineyard picking grapes. And so this is my first ride. I didn't really hitchhike much before in my life, uh, besides like up mountain passes in Colorado to take another snowboard run, which isn't like a scary, dangerous adventure. So this was the first real hitchhiking adventure I'd been on. And we're just having some great conversation on the windy roads of New Zealand. And she takes this, she goes around this one bend and a pen slides across her dash And instead of watching the road, she watches the pen and takes her eyes off the road and crashes the car off the side of the road into the mountainside, into the hillside. It was like a grassy, grassy hill that she just drove straight into. And everybody was fine, but uh, (laughs) the front bumper was full of mud and grass, like stuck in the grill. And the car still ran and she was a little bit shaken up, but you know, we're the only thing left to do is to keep going. So we uh, dusted it off, got in the car and kept driving. And not too long after a police officer noticed the front of our car with all the grass and mud stuck in it. So she pulled us over and gave a a breathalyzer to the driver. It was like, what happened to your car? Are you drunk? This and that. And it was determined she wasn't drunk, but I'm standing there like, Oh my God, like my first ride on this grand adventure that I already have no idea why it's happening or where I'm going. And we, the car crashes and we get pulled over by an officer. It's like, what is going on? (laughs) (laughs) So she was pretty shook up after crashing and then having to do the breathalyzer. And so I drove her car after that. And we ended up stopping and having some fish and chips because they love their fish and chips in New Zealand. And uh, took a break from the drive. But yeah, I drove her car the rest of the way as far as, as Blenheim. So that was my first ride. And it maybe took 15, 20 minutes from there to get a second ride for the last short leg to Picton. And that wasn't really too much of a noteworthy ride. It was an older guy, kind of quiet. Had some small talk, um, nothing too memorable from it. And he dropped me where the ferries come and leave from. And they were done running for the day. So I walked around, saw some of the old ships there, and then found a hostel for the night and decided I'd take the ferry out the next day. So I also decided my bags were way too heavy. I had already given away my snowboard, so I left all of my winter gear in the donations bin that was at the hostel and lighten my load. (laughs) Uh, So the next day I get on the ferry. It was a nice ferry ride, saw some dolphins, some islands, and we get to 
Wellington. And I get off the ferry. There's a few taxis trying to get my attention. And there's a van with like a very eccentric driver. And he's got disco ball lights in there and it's a bunch of other neon lights. <laughs> and, and he was also giving rides. And I saw some of the passengers from the ferry in there. And so I decided it was safe, hopped in with him. And I'm glad I did because he was super cool, outgoing guy who was giving a tour as we drove around and is bringing everybody in the van to their different desired spots. And so what I had told him was I wanted him to bring me to the cheapest hostel in Wellington, which he did. And so I got a great deal and stuck around for a few days and hung out with my bunkmates from one from France, one from Japan, and saw some spots where Lord of the Rings was filmed and ate a bunch of sushi and some pizza and talked to uh a homeless kid on the street, and here's a little little side story to go along with all this. I, he's like, well, where are you trying to go, mate? And I said, <laughs> well, I'm trying to go to Auckland eventually, I guess. And he's like, oh, Auckland, people up there are mean, bro. They're mean as. So saying things are something as is what they say in New Zealand. Like we would say it's it's hot as heck, for example. They would just say it's hot as or hot as, mate. Uh, so the people up in Auckland were mean as, and I was like, really? Like what makes them mean up there? He's like, bro, you could just be walking down the street with your fish and chips and someone might just come up and snatch your fish and chips and run away. And I was like, oh, okay. Well that made me relax a little bit. Like that's not that mean. Um, you know, it's not like they're coming up to you with knives or guns or something and robbing you, uh, of more than your fish and chips. And, and I laughed it off, but You'll see why it's worth mentioning that later in the story. So anyways, it's time to leave Wellington. So I, at this point, have no game plan. And I create a cardboard sign that says North. I didn't know where I was going to end up, what I was going to do, nothing. And I went out to the beginning of kind of like the road that goes North. And I was there for like two and a half hours before someone picked me up. And so many people drove by and saw a sign that said North and they just laughed at me. And uh, I was like beginning to question like, okay, I might have, this might take a few days <laughs> to get a ride. I might have to go back to the hostel for the night. But eventually this younger, super cool dude picked me up and he just wanted to experience a traveler or a hitchhiker. And he was already heading North to a barn that his family had up there. And so we went on a really nice ride and he was a nice guy who had lost all the toes on one of his feet when he was driving his motorcycle drunk once upon a time so he wanted to give me his best life's advice and he told me to always put my best foot forward <laughs> and so he dropped me off in some small town i have no idea what the name is i've looked at the map i can't tell for sure what town it was but he dropped me off and I still just had my sign that said North and it was only about five minutes. A really small, older Honda, blue Honda pulls up with three very large sized dudes in it. And two of them had face tattoos, like the tribal indigenous tribal tattoos of New Zealand, which I knew these days are more gang related than anything else. Uh, but the driver told me to hop in the back seat and I did. I didn't have any bad feeling or 
I don't know. I just hopped in the back seat and the driver says, Hey bro, I just want you to know I'm the local pastor. And so you're safe with me. And I respond, cool. Well, I roll with angels. So I wasn't really too concerned about it anyways. And he turns down the radio. He's like, bros, did you hear what he just said? He said he rolls with angels. (laughs) Do you mind if we pray for you? And I was like, that'd be great. (laughs) So they turn off the radio completely and they all bow their heads and they say a prayer for me, uh, which was super cool. And we had an instant connection, I think, at that point. And they told me they could drive me a little bit north or they were going back to the pastor's house for lunch and I was welcome to join. So I said, absolutely, I'll join. And we went back to his house in the countryside, um, just super beautiful, pretty out there, and uh, sat down and he made us all some lunch. So we got to sit around and I got to know these guys better. And sure enough, the face tattoos were gang related. These are ex-gang members who were born again Christians. And they all liked to preach from their motorcycles. They had a motorcycle club uh, in the church there. So we bonded over our love for motorcycles. And one of the guys was older and he was just looking me in the eyes, telling me I had the light of God coming from my eyes and... We talked about angels, and I felt just like angel after angel after angel show up behind me. And I was just getting so many chills having this conversation around the lunch table with them. And they all wrote me personal messages and signed a Bible. And they had created a logo of a hand with a finger pointing straight up toward God and created a bunch of pamphlets and clothing with this symbol on it. And so they gifted me one of their t-shirts and it says Jesus forever, forever Jesus with a cross with the logo over it. And it was super special, like super heart opening. And I kept in touch with them for a few years when I got back to the States and sent them pictures of me on my motorcycle wearing their t-shirt and pointing up toward God. And uh, I'd like to reconnect with them at some point. And so when we were done with our lunch, he drove me back to town and just dropped me off in town to stand there with a new sign I had made at his house that said Taupo on it. They highly recommended that I aim for Taupo next. So I said said goodbye and he left me there with my bags on the curb. And Taupo is about two or three hours, I forget, a a few hours north at that point. And it didn't take long, and a gentleman picks me up. And he had just got done working at a local health clinic. And uh, we start driving down the road, and I say, okay, well, what are you going to Taupo for? And he's like, oh, honey, I actually just live right down the street here. And I was curious if you wanted to come back to my place. And he said it just like that. He also spoke flamboyantly with a lisp, so uh, maybe a little more dramatic than how I even just said it. (laughs) And uh, I realized the situation I was in, and um, I was like, well, no. (laughs) I I have a sign that says I'm trying to get a few hours from here. I don't really want to come back to your place, but I appreciate it. So if you could just let me out, that would be great. And he's like, well, I'll let you out at the turn for where you need to turn to go to Taupo. 
and then I'll make sure that you get a ride. And he was being nice, but very seductive tone of voice when he was talking to me the whole time. And I was just holding it together and, you know, just still being me. Um, and so he stops the car at the point where I can get out and I say, Hey, thank you very much for the ride and go to give him a handshake. And he just grabs my arm and just strokes my arm all the way down to my hand. He's like, you have the nicest skin. And I was like, that's very nice of you. Thank you. (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to make sure you get a ride. So I'm going to sit over here and watch and make sure you get picked up. So now here I am on the side of a road and there's a guy parked, I don't know, maybe 50 feet away at this point, just staring at me while I'm sitting there with my bags and my sign. And I'm just like, this is awkward. Like, <laughs> no one likes to be stared at in the first place. And he's just sitting in the car staring at me. Uh, and luckily it didn't take too long. It was, felt like forever, but less than 10 <laughs> minutes, uh, the army mom shows up. And so this lady picks me up. And I get in, and she's like, you're in luck. I'm going all the way up to Taupo. My son's got a lacrosse tournament up there. Awesome. And so I'm going up there for the weekend. It's, um, And she's like, here's the deal. I work in the Army, so don't try to pull anything. <laughs> and I was like, got it. I wasn't going to. <laughs> and she's like, I also usually hate hitchhikers, and I think that all of you need to get your own car. But I drove by you and I drove up the road for a few minutes and I just got this overwhelming feeling that I needed to come back and get you. So I turned around and I came back and I got you. And I was like, well, thank God you did because I was more or less being stalked by a guy who was watching me and probably hoping that I wasn't going to get picked up. So you really just saved the day here. (laughs) And uh, I'd be happy to pay for all your food and gas all the way up. And she didn't accept a dime from me, but... We had a nice conversation and uh, an enjoyable three-hour ride up there, and she dropped me off at one of the hostels, and it was completely full, and she called around to all the other hostels. She's like, all the hostels here are full. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what am I going to do? And I just walked around town with all my bags and and, uh, just went up to every hostel anyways and and found one that was able to slip me in uh, to a bunk bedroom, so... I stayed there for a few days and I loved it. It was awesome. It was a cool place on the lake and they have they have hot spring rivers there. So I went to this park and yeah, just water flowing down in a river that just hot pools all the way down and and uh, I loved it. So I got to do some hot spring time and explore Taupo for a few days and had a blast and then decided it was time to move on and Auckland was next. So then I made a sign that said Auckland and got over to the road that would head in that direction and two young girls stop and they pick me up. And so the trunk's open and I'm putting my bags in the back and another car pulls up right behind them. And it's that lady that drove me to Taupo in the first place. And I was like, oh, hey, like you're the one who gave me a ride up here. It's been a few days. How are you doing? And she, she just goes, Ugh, this is my daughter picking you up right now. And I'm not happy about it, but I can't be a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, don't worry. Like it's, it's going to be fine. And, and, uh, 
just it blows my mind to this day. What are the odds of that? This is probably mm-hmm. the biggest synchronicity of the whole story. Mm-hmm. The, the army mom who saved me from that last guy, uh, three days later in a you know town with city, lots of people coming in and out, going to a major city of Auckland, and and the person that picks me up is that lady's daughter. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that helped that lady a feel safe because it definitely b helped me feel safe <laughs> knowing who I was getting picked up by so uh that was really nice and and she drove me to Auckland and uh dropped me off at one of the hostels there so I ended up in a room that was like I want to say 12 bed bunk room um, there's a lot of people, a lot of travelers packed into one of the busiest hostels in Auckland and I hated it. I, I'm not really a city person to begin with, but I was just stuck in a room with 12 other people every night. And so at this point I'll wrap up my story, my tangent story from the mean people of Auckland that the dude told me about when I was in Wellington and One day I'm at one of the malls and just had gotten a tray of sushi and I'm eating it outside. It's nice weather by myself. And two teenage girls walk up to me and just go, can I have your sushi? And I just bought it. (laughs) I'm like, uh, no. (laughs) And she just sticks her hand in and grabs a bunch of sushi and walks away. And I didn't do anything because, uh, you know, as a teenage girl, like, what am I going to do? So it's like, um, that kid in Wellington, even though I laughed at him and brushed him off, it was a premonition. It was like a spiritual premonition for me because, uh, I didn't just let her walk off and not give a crap. Uh, I gave a crap. I actually thought about that way too much over the rest of the day and the night. Like you could probably accurately say I lost sleep over it. So it's, you know, not about, the sushi, but it's about the symbolism of the event and and what energies it triggers in me as far as speaking up for myself or, you know, being taken advantage of. I don't know. Um, It just really, it, it sent me through a process within myself of letting go of whatever these energies were that were being triggered. So it was very interesting, and uh, I felt like that was divinely orchestrated. I start looking for a place to live, and I just keep running into these roadblocks for different reasons. Um, Oh, we just found someone. Oh, you know, you'll have to take a train, and it's a pretty far train ride to to even come look at it, and no guarantees you'll get it, or or lots of money down um, at the beginning, or this and that, and... I was getting really frustrated and eventually contacted one ad with a super cool couple who didn't require like first last or security deposit. They were cool with me paying week to week, not even month to month. And they didn't make me take the train out to go look at the place. They drove into Auckland and met me at a Burger King and, and we connected there and Everything seemed super chill, so they said I could move in, gave me the address, and next day I took a train out there and and showed up. I really appreciate those guys. They also liked motorcycles, so I got to rent a motorcycle and ride around 
with them who knew all the best motorcycle roads and places to stop at and uh, very fond memories of mine. And I stayed in touch with them and saw them years later when I returned. But one day they were both out at work. And so I went to go look through their bookshelf and I see a book called Hands of Light. And so I pull that book out and the front cover is that image that I was telling you about from the at the very beginning of this podcast is that image that had been the background that image that I printed out and now like worked into a tattoo on my side it wasn't a similar image it was that image and I was just like whoa I had no idea that this image was related to a book and it's a energy spiritual book which I already had a background in that and uh so by the time I started reading it, I was just loving it. It was like, I was ready for It's pretty advanced, I'd say, but I was ready for that. I was soaking it up. And I just read that book all day, every day in my room. It's like a big textbook. And instead of really going out and doing New Zealandy stuff, like hiking volcanoes and and whatnot, I was just reading that book and taking a picture of all the pages and and it was at this point that I realized it made sense what my mentor had told me, that when you get to where you need to be, you'll know. Because <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. And I also learned that there's a school attached to this book um, or related to the book. And I was like, what? This image is a book and it's a school? <laughs> like, holy crap. <laughs> and I was running out of money. Uh, my guides you know, this is part of the story I glossed over or I, I didn't even mention, but um, my guides told me to spend the last of my $2,000 on a tattoo. So I got my whole arm <laughs> tattooed in the final week that I was there. And I'll jump into that real quickly. It's not like they told me to go get a tattoo. I was already considering it. And when I asked them about it, they said that it was okay. And it was okay that I spent the last of my money on it. But the thing about this that is spiritual for me is that I remember as a young teenager, maybe even like 11, 12, 13, something like that, I was, would be sitting in my room by myself and I would have a knowing that later in my life, both my arms would be tattooed. And it's like this this higher self voice that would show me that or tell me that. and Or it was a more like direct knowing. And I'd argue with it. I'd go, no way, I'm this like scrawny little kid, with like scrawny arms, not worthy of full arm tattoos. <laughs> And uh, that was pretty much my perspective my whole life. And then in New Zealand, when I, get this, when I got this tattoo, um, I had two designs printed out and they were swords with shields and they were going to go on my legs. And that was my plan. I walked into the tattoo shop, sat down, met the artist, and I just opened my mouth and go, I would like a sleeve. <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, so I got a whole arm sleeve tattoo and it was of the chakras. So very synchronistic that I'm reading this book, uh, which is about the energy field a lot, you know, a lot about the chakras. And I got different symbols that to me can represent the chakras tattooed on my arm. And I did the whole arm over a series of three days in a row. And a couple of years later, when Sophia and I went back, same artist did the rest of the chakras on my other arm in another three-day marathon. And I think that's the last time that I'll ever do a three-day-in-a-row tattoo marathon. <laughs> Shortly after I was 
done reading that book, my guide said, okay, it's time to fly back to Colorado. And I was like, what? I had plans. I was going to keep traveling the world and stuff. But the message was clear, go back to Colorado. And I said, okay, when? And they gave me a date. I think it was like September 23rd, something like that. So I left on September 21st to go see my parents for a couple days in Florida and then get back to Colorado on September 23rd. And I was able to secure a place to live through Craigslist, which ended up being a really cheap deal with no first, last, and security deposit. It was just another month-to-month deal. And it was with a friend of friends. This guy knew many of the people I knew. And uh, I had never met him before, but it ended up being a great living situation. And him and I are lifelong buds now. Um, But not too long after I booked my tickets, my mentor from Colorado reaches out and he says, hey, I'm running a workshop coming up and I would like you to join. The date is September 25th. And I was like, what? (laughs) That's like... (laughs) Two days after I get back, that's that's divine timing. And that's the date that my guides told me to fly back. And so it all felt like divine synchronicity, perfect timing. And so I do it and I go back and I join his workshop and he's showing images about how light enters the pineal gland to activate the third eye. And he's like, yeah. This is the only image I could find for it on the internet. And I'm like, that's the image out of the Hands of Light book. And I was like, look, I, <laughs> I took all the pictures of the pages in my phone. And so I scroll through my phone. I'm like, look, that's the image right here. I was just reading this book. And now here it is. And it was another huge synchronicity, something that came full circle for me. Uh, so there's clearly a really strong connection to what was going on with this Hands of Light book by Barbara Brennan. And, uh, you know, knowing that there's a school out there, but being broke at the same time, just setting the intention that someday I might join. And anyways, on the second night of the workshop, I part of it is you go to a sweat lodge, which is on the property next to a river at a house called the Foam Dome. This guy, Boot, built in the 70s, and it's all just like rounded concrete rooms and ramps and round windows and Nothing normal about it. Uh, super cool place. And had a sweat lodge in the back where uh, my mentor ran his workshops uh, or part, you know, this part of the workshop was there. And so I show up there and uh, all of a sudden there's this bright-eyed, beautiful young girl who introduces herself to me, just looking up at me with a big smile. And that person is Sophia. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> And that's the moment I met Sophia, and uh, and the rest is history. Ah, <laughs> oh, Sophia's crying over there right now. Let's just blend this into our soulful send-off. Years later, Sophia and I returned to New Zealand, and uh, we spent three weeks living out of a hatchback Camry and driving around the South Island, and... Uh, and spent some time in the North Island, and that's a story for another time. But um, it was an adventure of a lifetime that led me to the love of my life and uh, just really 
shows what can happen when you trust in the divine and you trust in the messages you get, even if they're not complete messages. Um, so it's a story near and dear to my heart and it's an honor to put on a podcast. So I don't have to, it's a long one too. So I don't have to keep telling it <laughs> to people in the future. I can just say, go, go listen to episode 11. So here you have it. Hope you enjoyed it. And Brandon definitely arrived in divine timing for me too. I was very much ready uh, to receive him and his presence in my life. And it was the right time. We had been told by our same spiritual mentor um, that Brandon would show up at these workshops occasionally. And I kind of heard the name, but I never, we never attended the same workshop. When he was there, I was not, I was working or whatever. And so it was divine timing at that time, the right time um, that brought us together. Yeah, exactly. And uh, we saw each other in a different light. I think we were both in a more authentic space and yeah. not really clouded by our mask selves because thinking back, she had uh, administered one of my drug tests for me when I was taking a commercial driver's license, uh, drug test for a job. She was working at the hospital. She had been at one of the holiday parties and she was maybe one of the only people I didn't speak to the whole time. Mm -hmm. uh, just yeah. the vibes weren't, weren't right. But uh, yeah. yeah, after we both had been placed in containers of isolation and been able to digest all that we had learned, we'd learned more about being our authentic selves and, and, uh, as we embodied more of that, which is, you know, still the process th this day, but as we embodied more of that, we met in divine timing and saw each other. Definitely. And when I saw you as your uh, friend in New Zealand said to you, you definitely had a light in your eyes and it was so apparent. So it was striking. Yeah. And so did you. And I was also like, whoa, this spiritual group is usually all older people. Like <laughs> now there's like a hot young girl here. Now I got to be all nervous and stuff. So. <laughs> Yeah, we worked through that, but anyways, um, yeah, pleasure to share my story and thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Every week we share our most recent divine guidance in an audio recording called Oracle Offerings. Sign up for only $5 a month at patreon.com slash aspenroots.